0: Sure appreciate you all coming to say school. I'm really looking forward today to um, talking about what happens after we die. Not something we probably talk about often enough. Uh, We talk a lot about what's going on while we're still here, which is uh, vital, but um, it's going to get good. It's going to get even better, and then it's going to get even better yet, and uh, that's what we're going to address today. Very excited about this, and I just feel like I've— Learn so much um, from the resident theologians here um, on this topic. Very excited about this. Two things. One, uh, before we pray, is next week there's going to be a three-week class, uh, mainly taught by Greg, uh, in the choir room for new members. Okay? So, if you have any inkling at all about being a new member, love to have you come to that. We'll stop regular Sunday school in here. Um, as always, but that'll be a three-weeker uh, starting next week. And then, uh, Lord willing, January the 9th, 119 days from right now, you can tell I'm looking forward to this a little bit, um, <laughs> Josh Krause and Grant Crane and I are going to be uh, leading the Romans Sunday School in this um, choir room, and that will be separate from this, Same school. This same school will continue, and that one will be um, kind of an interactive uh, study, and really excited about that. 50 weeks in Romans. That will um, end, Lord willing, on December the 18th, or we may just extend it for a five year study. That's what I'm (laughs) I'm uh, hoping. Could be eight years? Eight years. Eight years. Could just be until we go to the intermediate state. (laughs) That could could be. So, uh, very excited about that. That is coming. Soon to the choir room as well. So, uh, Mark, would you pray for us and uh, such a great feast today?
1: Yes, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do ask that you would give us uh, clarity in our thinking on some of these things that can become convoluted in our minds. Uh, Some aspects of this perhaps are more clear than others, but I do pray that you would give us clarity on what is clearly taught in your Word uh, on death and the intermediate state and the final uh, judgment. And I pray that you would allow this to be a great comfort for believers and give us urgency concerning those who do not know you. And I pray you would be honored and that we would be edified in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Good deal. Probably uh, there's a number of places to uh, turn to. Greg, could I ask you to start us and kind of introduce what we're uh, looking at today? Um, Because there's just a number of of great steps to come uh, that, that we have to look forward to.
2: Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, ooh, that's, well, um, so we're talking about the intermediate state. If you looked in uh, Grudem, uh, he's got chapter 25. It's death, the intermediate, intermediate state, and glorification. Um, you know, death is a reality we all know, we all face. Unless Jesus returns first, uh, we're all going to die. It's, it's not a fun subject to think about. Um, It's not pleasant, um, but it's a reality that every single human being faces. 100% of the people who are alive today will die unless Jesus comes back first. Um, That's just reality. And so we have to ask this question, what happens when we die? Where do we go? Do we go on? Um, Obviously, you know, we, we believe that because Scripture is clear. Um, And then once we answer that question, where does your soul go when your body dies, what is that experience like? You know, do we fall asleep and stay asleep until Jesus comes back? Are we awake? Are we alert? Um, This is all the issues that come up with this topic of the intermediate state. And thankfully, it's something that Scripture does address for us. And that's what we hope to make, you know, make it at least a little bit clear, the main points of this this morning. Um, Where do we want to start? There's a lot of text we could look at. Um, Why don't we do first Philippians chapter 1? We're going to go to 2 Corinthians 5 in a little bit, but Philippians chapter 1, this is where my mind goes when I think about this, at least for me, it's the first first place my mind goes. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, let's begin reading in verse 19, and we're going to read through Verse 26, just to get the full context. Paul says this, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul's in prison. He says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so what we start to see here in the Apostle Paul, he's got this wrestling inside that's going on. He's in prison. He knows death is a, is a possibility. He's not convinced that's what's going to happen at this point. Uh, but Paul is saying, look, it's great if I'm here because Jesus is my life, but it's even better if I die because I'll depart and be with Christ. Okay, so we think about this intermediate state. We know the Bible is pointing towards a final resurrection when all flesh will be raised um, and believers will receive a a new body, a glorified body. We talk about that. We hope in that. But that's not what happens when we die. We don't get that body yet. Um, And so what Paul is saying, even though it's not the final resurrection it's better than anything I could have here. And why is that? He says, because I would depart and be with Christ. That's in verse 23. And he says that is far better. And so we already start to see about this kind of intermediate state, this in-between state, if you will, that for believers at least, we when our bodies die, we in our spirits still go into the presence of God, into the presence of Jesus, uh, where we experience joy, um, contentment, rest, and other things like that. And Paul's saying that's better than even knowing and walking with Jesus here on earth is to die and have my spirit go to be with Him. What do you guys got? Mark?
1: No, that's that's really good. Um, I think what Greg's getting at here and what Paul is teaching in, this, in several passages, if you grew up in church, you probably… and maybe you were taught differently about this, but a lot of us probably… Either we heard it taught directly or we just sort of implied it or inferred it in our thinking. The thinking was this. You live right now on earth to the end of your life, and then you die, and then you enter into the eternal state, which is that your, your body goes into the ground, and you go to heaven, and you're in heaven forever. That's, what you, that's, what, that's the end goal is, is to be in heaven. So, you, you die and you either go to heaven forever or you go to hell forever, but that was, that was kind of the end of my understanding of eternity. And uh, what was a big moment for me a number of years ago was getting to see very clearly that the Bible does not end there. So, um, you know, the, the people say kind of like, slightly sarcastic, don't take this too seriously kind of statements, but, you know, um, you, you know the old saying, earth is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Have you all heard that before? Earth is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Well, some people have said, with a little bit more sarcasm than is actually warranted, heaven's not my home, I'm just a passing through. Now, that's an overstatement, because really, the new heavens and the new earth is heaven on earth, Uh, but uh, strictly speaking, our soul going to be in heaven is not our eternal destination as believers. That is a temporary destination called the intermediate state between two places, and at Christ's return and final judgment, there will be a new heavens and new earth. We will have new glorified bodies, and we will return to earth to live forever in an embodied existence with physical bodies, eyes, nose, you know, taste, touch, feel, here on this planet that will be completely restored, renewed. Uh, Romans 8 says that God subjected creation to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free. Let's talk about the world. The creation itself will be set free from bondage to decay. And obtain the the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so, the end goal of the Bible is what Adam and Eve were supposed to do. Human image bearers embodied on earth, representing God to all who see. And so, that that is the initial intention of God. The new creation will be an improvement even upon the Garden of Eden. Because in the Garden of Eden, you can still sin and fall and get kicked out. Mm-hmm. You cannot get kicked out of the new creation. The new creation is better than Eden. That's an amazing thought. It is better than the Garden of Eden. And... That's the eternal state. So, in in the meantime, between Christ's return and our death here in this world now, we go to heaven to be with the Lord, which is far better than this, but we do not yet have our resurrected bodies until Christ's return. Papa.
3: I like some of the logic that Grudem sort of starts out with, because you could say, well, gosh, the first word on this chapter is death. You know, that's the last thing I want to talk about today, uh, or we want to talk about today. But uh, he makes a point that death is not punishment for for Christians. That is a very, 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 very good point. It's on the first page of the book, 348. Uh, it's not, not a punishment. There is no condemnation now in Christ Jesus uh, for believers. And, and that's, that's the good news. Um, it's, it's, and as Mark read from Romans 8, it's, it's the resultant of our living in a broken and fallen world. He, he got subjected to creation to futility uh, so that uh, that eventually he would redeem creation, he would redeem us with a resurrected body. But in the meantime, death is uh, you know a part of life that we have to face. But it, but it's not something hopeless, and we we've got all the hope in the world. All you got to do is sit down in your quiet times and, and read Romans eight, and and that's our that's us, that's our destination, that's who we are in Christ, and and that's something to be. This afternoon, raising your hands and praising God for so this is not a um, um, a, a mournful subject. Uh, obviously, if you're going through this yourself or with a family member, it's 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 tough. But we have hope. Uh, you know, hope hope that is seen is not hope. Well, who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope in what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And that we're, that's right now what we're doing. We're waiting with patience, mm-hmm. right, Jerry? And we don't grieve like the rest of men that's, because of that. Absolutely.
2: Now, that's, that's big, Greg. Right? Um, well, I think Grudem has a, a point on page 350, uh, which draws on a larger biblical theme. Uh, he says, our obedience to God is more important than preserving our own lives. Mm. Um, and the reason why this matters, why, you know, this intermediate state that we're talking about where our souls go to be with God with, and with Christ is, especially in the world we live in, Having something to look forward to after death, like that is an odd, weird thing for the world we live in. I mean, that people, you know, have some form of spirituality um, and they hope that it might go good for them when they die. They don't know. But as Christians, we know what God has said, we know what God has promised, we know um, that there is a conscious existence in the presence of God awaiting. So, one of the things we have to, to, I guess, stress to people that we come in contact with is death is not the end. It's not the end for the believer and it's not the end for the unbeliever. Um, because what we're gonna see, we say, what, where do you go when you die? If you're a Christian, you go where? You go into the presence of God, which is a, uh, it's paradise, it's, it's life, it's joy. For an unbeliever, someone who has not trusted in Jesus, they go somewhere too. And it's not like the unbeliever ceases to exist or ceases to be conscious. No, they are in conscious punishment awaiting the final day of judgment. Um, when they will receive, their bodies will be raised and they will be judged not just in the spirit but in body and spirit um, and then cast forever into the lake of fire as Revelation talks about. So, but just the fact that it is conscious and even for the unbeliever, it's conscious torment. I think we need to go to the book of Luke um, one of the clearest passages um, of a of a divide between where believers go and where unbelievers go uh, when they pass. Luke chapter sixteen, um, we have this very well known parable of Lazarus and the rich man, um, and you guys probably know this well. But sometimes the most familiar passages can still yield some of the richest treasures. And so let's read it again um, in light of the fact that there is a real place that believers go, a real place that unbelievers go, and what does this passage um, say about it? Uh, Luke 16, let's begin reading in verse 19. It says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. But Abraham said, "'Child, remember that you in your lifetime "'received your good things, "'and Lazarus in like manner bad things, "'but now he is comforted here, "'and you are in anguish. "'And besides all this, between us and you, "'a great chasm has been fixed, "'in order that those who had passed from here to you "'may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. "'And he said, "'Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, "'for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, "'lest they also come into this place of torment.' But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. A couple of thoughts here, and then I'll um, listen to what these other guys got to say um, on this. Um, keep in mind, in this day, rich people... Were at least how they were viewed by the culture around them. If you were rich, then you were blessed of God. You know, that goes back to the, you know, Jesus and the, the rich young ruler. Um, you know, he's rich, he's well off, he seems like a pretty obedient guy. Um, and Jesus says how hard it is for, you know, the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle um, than for a rich person to enter, enter into heaven. And the, the point is, people thought if anybody's going to make it, it's rich people because, look, they're blessed. Look at all that they have. God obviously is favorable to them. And so they're going to get in if anybody does. And notice in this story, it is not the rich man who goes. So all his earthly possessions did him no good when it, went, when it came down to where he goes when he dies. Um, it's very likely um, that he you know, rejected God, was not a worshiper of God, he never gave thanks to God. Um, if he did, it was only external. Now, contrast him with Lazarus here. Um, and I heard somebody say this, I need to check on it to be sure, but I, I, think, I think it's right. They said, Lazarus is the Greek for Eleazar, which means supported by God. And so if that's the case, this poor man, he doesn't have much, but it does seem like he probably has faith in God. He probably has genuine faith. He's a genuine worshiper of God, um, even though he is poor. Um, and so when he dies, he is carried immediately um, into Abraham's side, Abraham's bosom, the, the paradise, the place of, of rest for the people of God. And this rich man, not having faith, is, is taken immediately to a place of punishment where he is fully aware of what's going on. It's not like he ceases to, to be conscious um, or anything like that. He is fully aware of where he is and what's going on and he knows it's bad um, and he is in a place where he cannot change this at all. So go well, ahead. On, on
1: that point, um, j- just some things that you don't
2: wanna overlook. We can read through some of these details
1: like you're unpacking for us and we can miss certain things. Well, Here's something that we often don't think about. The, the idea, sometimes people will say that when you die you leave time That You you know, we we talk about entering eternity, the idea that there's no more time anymore. And let's be careful what we mean by that. Yes, of course, when we die, we enter into eternity, but that does not mean that we exist outside of moments passing, because that's what time is, right, moments passing. This man, as he's in Hades, first of all, does he remember his former life? Yes. Yeah. He, does he remember the poor man? Oh yeah, I remember that guy who was sitting at my gate. Does he remember? He knows who Abraham is. He actually says his name. I know you, Abraham. That's Father Abraham over here. By the way, I've got five brothers back home. Okay, so stop for a second. Some people say that the moment we die, everyone just sort of shows up in eternity at the same moment. Like there's, no, there's no time. You just Everyone gets there at the same moment. That's, that's not true here because these two guys die close together. They go to eternity together, but he looks back and his brothers are not there yet. Send someone to tell my five brothers. In other words, he is in a place that is going through time, just like we on earth are going through time. When, as he's going through time, his brothers are still going through time back on earth. He knows about his brothers. He knows about his family. He has all his basic knowledge of those things. He then asks for someone to go speak to them. This, this is not… I think sometimes we can become, as Christians, we can become frightened about eternity, at least, especially with children. I'll talk to children or younger people will talk about this. You, you, you kind of think you're going to have a memory wipe. You know, like you just, you forget everything, and you go into this place you've never been, and you don't know anyone, you don't recognize anyone, you have no idea what's going on, and you have to kind of relearn everything from the beginning, and you're outside of time. It just, it sounds so foreign and almost scary that there's nothing attractive about that. I had a, a couple of people in my class a year ago, seniors, one girl in particular, said one of her big fears is eternity. Because she, even as a believer, she's like I, heaven just almost seems scary. It's like I don't know what's up there. I don't know what's going to happen. And just she was kind of being very honest, confessing like I don't know what to do with that. But but the idea that we're going to have our memories forgotten is not true. Um, I, we won't go there right now. But 1 Thessalonians four to me confirms this explicitly. Do not grieve as those who have no hope. He's talking about people who've died. So a believer. I'll just mention it really quick. So say there's a, a believing family of five. All of them are believers and let's say that two of them die. The other three are going to grieve for those two that they've lost, of course. That is absolutely right and good and natural to grieve for those who have died. Paul doesn't say don't grieve. What does he say? Don't grieve as those who have no hope. That's a very different thing. So, as they grieve over their lost believing relatives who have passed away, Paul says, don't grieve as those who have no hope. Then he says… For when the return of Christ happens, we who are still alive will be caught up together, but they will, be rise, they will rise first, those who are dead, and we will rise with them. We'll meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. What's Paul saying? He's saying, well, most importantly, we'll be with Jesus. That's 10 million times more important than any lost loved one, but… When he says, don't grieve as those who have no hope, he means we're going to have the hope of seeing lost, believing loved ones who've died, we will see them again. So don't grieve without hope over them, we will see them again. We will know them, we will remember them from our former life. And so, um, and there's other, other passages as well, uh, earlier in the same chapter, he says, use your money in such a way that you might gain friends for yourselves who will welcome you into eternal dwellings, verse uh, 9 of chapter 16. So clearly, if you're using… Let me, let me read that just so I don't misquote it. The parable's confusing, I won't walk through it right now, but verse 9, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, your money, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. I think the point of the parable being, if you use your money, time, resources to help lead someone to Christ then one day, they're going to welcome you into eternal dwellings. They're going to be there to welcome you into heaven. They're going to remember how your unrighteous man and your money was used in their salvation, and they will welcome you into, into eternal dwellings. So, every indication is that we will remember uh, those we knew on earth before.
3: Well, I think you said this, but there's… Uh, throughout this passage of the rich man and Lazarus, there's certainly consciousness of everything. You know, like you say, he remembered his brothers. He's in torment. He wants Lazarus to come dip his finger in, into water because and, and, he's in the flames, it says. So it's not like we're, I don't know what people think of uh, as far as hell is concerned, uh, like they're going to continue doing what they're doing. No, it's, it's a place of torment, and it's immediate. There's a separation here when you die. Um, and and we'll we'll get to that, but it's it's either place, heaven or hell, and if you're in hell, this is where the the rich man is right now and he's simply describing it and it's not too pretty a sight
0: so that is a picture of the intermediate state this is mm-hmm. yes, right yeah. here could you mark really helpful uh help us walk through the second corinthians five passage and then Maybe let's start to think, okay, what is the intermediate state for the unbeliever and for the believer, and then what is the eternal state for the unbeliever and the
1: believer? Yes. So, turn to 2 Corinthians. We'll start at the end of chapter 4, verse 16. 2 Corinthians four sixteen, and here's what Paul says. So, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Just real quick, I don't want this to be misunderstood. The things that are unseen that we don't see is not just referring to the spiritual, non-physical realm in heaven. I think it's also referring to the new heavens and new earth. We don't yet see it. We, 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 you know, hope that is seen is not hope, Romans 8, where he's clearly talking about new creation. I think he's talking both about heavenly realities, but also the eternal state, the, the resurrection and the new creation. You can't see that right now, but it's eternal, and it will always be here once it arrives. So we fix our eyes on both the present and future uh, in that sense, and, and not on the things that we see, because this earth will be, will be, um, will be judged. L- let me just say another thing. Verse 17, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us eternal weight of glory, beyond all comparison, Th- that, could be, that could be used in a way that might not be loving to some, someone. I don't mean the, the truth. I mean, you could go to someone who's really suffering and say, this is light and momentary, and you could say it in a way that would not be helpful at a time that might not be the best time to say it. Paul is not an un, a man who doesn't understand pain and suffering. This guy has suffered more than any of us, probably all of us put together times 10. Paul has suffered physically and in other ways as well. And Paul says, I'm not saying suffering in this world is small— on its own terms. I'm saying it's small in comparison to something. Now you see how different that is? Think back when you're a child. Think about some horrible, uh, uh, some horrible moment you had as a child, maybe in elementary school, some embarrassing moment, some like really horrible month or week of your life that you just dreaded as you went through it, maybe middle school. Yeah. I don't know where it was, but you, you look back. At the time, did it not feel Like it was ending everything in your life. It just felt like the the walls were coming down in your life. You thought, I'll never make it through this. This is so horrible. And and it just, it grieved you beyond words. And now look back at it from this vantage point. Doesn't it look different in size than it did at the time? Paul's not saying our suffering is light and momentary, considered on its own terms, in the moment. He's saying, I'm comparing it to something. And the thing I'm comparing it to, it's like weights on a scale. If you have nothing on this side of the scale, and you put a cancer diagnosis on this side of the scale, the scale will tip very heavily. If you have nothing on this side and you take grief, loss of a loved one, relational suffering, emotional suffering, you put, the, the scale will tip dramatically against, against, with nothing to compare it to. But that's not what Paul's doing. Paul says, I, I, he, earlier in this same book, he said, I was despairing of life itself in Asia, in chapter 1. I, 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 I despaired of life. I had the sentence of death over me. I was going through some serious suffering. And then he says, but now let me put it on the scale, my suffering. And then he puts on the other side of the scale, the eternal weight of glory. Eternal weight of glory. Something infinitely significant. Resurrection with Christ forever. And he puts that on this side of the scale. Well, I'm I'm telling you, and this is not treating our suffering like it's nothing. We should not do that to people. But what I want to say is no matter what you have gone through, you, you may have suffered far, far, far more than I have in my life. No matter what you are going through, there is coming a day, if you know the Lord, where you will be able to look back like you look back at your nine-year-old struggles and go, wow, that is so small compared to what I have now, what I have access to now. So that's what Paul's doing there. And then, uh, Jerry, would you read for us maybe one through five of chapter five?
0: Yeah, you reminded me of uh, verse 18. Papa knows it. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. A similar passage in in Romans 8, chapter 5. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is eternal, what is mortal, may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing
1: is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, if you look at verse 1, these are a little bit confusing verses. So, let me just try to give you, I think, what we're all in agreement on here on, on these basic things. Number one, For we know that if the tent, this is verse 1, the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed. Stop there. I don't think that's referring to earth. I think that's referring to our physical body. And this is pretty much unanimous amongst conservative scholarship. Uh, The tent is our earthly body. And 2 Peter 1 confirms this. Peter says, the Lord Jesus told me I am soon to take off this tent, to to get rid of my earthly body. I'm soon to die. And he refers to it as a tent, almost the exact same word in Greek. So Paul says tent here is our earthly body that will one day be destroyed, middle of verse 1. If that happens, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Some people think that is just heaven itself. I think with most people that this is a reference to our resurrection body. So we shed our tent and we get a stable home with a foundation, which is a resurrection body that cannot be destroyed like a tent that's flimsy can be destroyed. But there's a gap in between there, the intermediate state. Yes. So we'll we'll talk about the gap there. Verse 2. For in this tent, that's us now in our earthly body, Verse 2, in this tent we groan, like Romans 8, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, that's our resurrection body, if indeed by putting it on, our resurrection body, we may not be found naked. Now, naked here is not talking about physically being undressed like Adam and Eve were, knew they were naked. This is referring to your soul. Your soul right now is wearing your tent, your earthly body. One day you will exchange your physical body for an eternal home in the heavens, a resurrection body made without hands by God. So your soul is right now clothed with your physical body. One day it will be clothed with your resurrection body. Is that making sense? But in the intermediate state, think about this, we don't often think about this. When I die, if I die today, which could happen, if I die today, this week I will be buried. My body will be put in the ground and buried. My soul though is not down in the grave. My soul's not haunting some building somewhere, okay? My soul is where it goes back to be with the Lord Jesus in heaven. It goes back to be with the Lord Jesus. Now, I don't yet have a resurrection body. If I die today, I will not go into eternity with a resurrection body. I will be called what Paul calls naked or what he calls being unclothed. My soul… Is not wearing my this body, it's in the ground. It's not wearing my future resurrection body that hasn't been given yet to anyone except Jesus. And so right now I am naked. I, I am a soul without a body in, in the intermediate state. But we'll explain what that means in a second, a little bit. Verse 4. For while we were still in this tent here on earth, we groaned being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, real quick, that phrase, what is mortal mortal may be swallowed up by life is not what happens the moment you die and go to heaven. Because guess what? When you die and go to heaven, you are still dead physically. Death has not been swallowed up by life the moment you die. Because although you are thriving in heaven in your soul, you are still dead. That's the the definition of dead is what? Your Your soul and body are separated. So if your soul is having a great time in heaven with God, that is way better than life here in a body. That's way, way, way better. But it is not the final state. And Paul says it's a state of being unclothed, not being totally clothed as we should be. And one day at the resurrection, what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Our, our soul and our body will be permanently reunited in a resurrection body, never to die again. And at that point, death will be defeated entirely and completely, absolutely eradicated from, 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 from the world. So let me, let me stop there, and I want to get some nuances from, from Papa Fred and Greg on this.
3: One of the things I like about this particular verse is Verse five, he, he who has prepared us for this very thing, and he's describing what you just read, is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. That's a surety, That's it's as good as done. It, it, is, it is the final product. As we talked about earlier in, in Romans eight, all those verbs is, are heirs. It, it, it's already completed for, for the believer. And so this guarantee by the Spirit is another stamp that this is, this is true. This is gonna happen. This is, this is. Now, uh, I like the, the tent building comparison. Um, tents are typically uh, temporary, uh, even in the Bedouins that still live in the Middle East in tents. I mean, they're huge. They're, I mean, they would take the biggest part of this room. Uh, they move those things. I mean, they're, they're, that's a temporary dwelling. Building is not. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a picture of a solid foundational structure that will last forever. A picture of our, our, heaven, uh, our, our heavenly home. Greg, would it be safe to say that
0: from the Bible, we know more about our eternal state than our intermediate state? Is that, would you say that? Yes and no. Okay. Yes and no. Because tell us what this intermediate state, this thing's still a little mysterious to me.
2: It is. So let's read on in verse six, because Paul, in in light, it's kind of like he, he compares where we are now, where we're going to be in the final state of things. And then that's where verse six makes so much sense. That's why he says, so we are always of good courage. Why? We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Um, and just stop there. And so being at home with the Lord at this point is not the resurrection body. This is your spirit being in the presence of God when you die, okay? I hope that's not too, too complicated there, but I think it's pretty clear. And so that's why it's like you can have good courage because it, one, you have the spirit now. If you die, you go to be with Jesus in your spirit, and then one day it gets ramped up even again when your, resu- your body is resurrected and glorified and you're made whole in every way. And so that's why he says, whether we are at home or away, verse 9, we make it our aim to please him. Um, so obviously, we should strive with everything we have to please God on this earth. Now, we got to be careful because we rightly have an allergic reaction to anything that says we, God accepts us because we please him no we seek to please him because we've already been accepted in christ and our seeking to please him is on the basis of the hope that he's declaring here one that we have the spirit now that we're going to have this resurrection body later and that we'll go to be with him in the in the intermediate part so what wherever we are we can do everything we can to try to please him you talked about you got something no no go, go ahead um Okay, we we don't have a lot of pictures of what life in the intermediate state is like. I think the book of Revelation gives us some clues, okay? Um, In Revelation chapter six and in Revelation chapter seven, it's talking about people who have not yet received the resurrection body, but are in the presence of God who have died, okay? Um, So let's Revelation chapter six, um, verse nine, and then we'll look at chapter seven. Um, Leaving off all the debates over... Other things related to some of these passages, I think, regardless, we can see this is a picture of people who have died on earth, believers who are now in God's presence, okay? Yep. So let's keep that in mind. It says, verse nine, Revelation six, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice. So they're in the presence of God. They're under the altar there in heaven and they cry out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves have been. So even here, you see, like Mark was saying, like a complete awareness of your former life and a complete awareness of who you are, where you are, what's going on, but there's also an awareness that it's not yet complete because there's this final avenging that God's gonna do um, on those who oppose Christ and put people to death for their faith in him. So there's a a looking forward to something still to come, which is that resurrection, final judgment, everything like that. Now look at verse, uh, not verse, chapter seven. Verse. We'll start in verse nine, and we'll just read through verse 17. I think, again, this is a picture of what's going on in this intermediate time between death and the final resurrection. It says, after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders (coughs) and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. And again, you know, however you want to parse this, I think this is indicative of every believer who dies um, uh, before the final resurrection. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. So this is what you can look forward to when you die. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So when Paul says to depart and be with Christ is far better. This is what he's talking about. This is what you have to look forward to if you're a believer is Christ himself will watch over you and shepherd you and care for you and provide for you. And you will be satisfied and, and content and at rest in a way that you can only long for in this life.
1: That is, that is such a comforting thought. And uh, Papa Fred, you pointed out to me this week, and, and this was good to think through, this is a mystery part to hear, to this that I don't fully know the answer to. So I I wish I knew more, but I uh, have not been to the intermediate state, so I can only say so much <laughs> here. But So you've got Paul saying naked, without a, you know, without a body, but then here you've got eyes being wiped of yeah, tears. And you've got faces. robes, you've got hands, faces, you've got all kinds of, when, when you mentioned Moses and Elijah appear on Mount of Transfiguration from the intermediate state, and they stand there in bodily form. you know, talk, They with, didn't have name tags. They didn't have name tags, <laughs> that's right. So the, the point here being, I don't quite understand what the final answer is. People make different guesses. But there seems to be some kind of, form that you take, some kind of bodily form that you take in some form, but whatever that is, the eyes that are being wiped of tears, whatever that is, is not your resurrection body. It is not your final resurrection body. It is something that is not as great as what is coming after that. So, I don't fully understand the language here. Same thing with the rich man said, put water on my tongue… That's not just, a soul doesn't have a tongue. So, th- there is still bodily language used in the intermediate state, despite the fact that we don't have our earthly body, it's in the ground, and we don't yet have our resurrection body. And I, you know, I, I made a comparison, angels are spirits, ministering spirits. They don't have bodies. But when they appear, do they have bodies? Yes, they appear with bodies, hands and eyes and noses and all that. So, I don't know what exactly this means, but God gives us some kind of, of, of form of some kind, bodily form, in the intermediate state,
3: it appears. Papa. up. Well, naked, as you pointed, already pointed out, is not run around with no clothes on. It's it's the fact that we're separated from the from the body, the body from the soul. But there is, as we've already pointed out from these verses, there's uh, there's robe They were given white robes. Uh, they 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 were in their hands they held palm branches. Uh, they were praising God. Uh, with their voices crying out salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb so there's cognitive ability there's uh, there's physical action of some sort uh, uh Moses and Elijah showed up and they were talking to Jesus we don't know what they, they said but they said that they, talk, they were talking about the exodus and and uh, and 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 so there was conversation going on but the three of them and then the disciples were all privy to this they didn't they didn't know what was going on. Peter wanted to build a tent That's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. but so there I don't yeah we can speculate about what it must be like but hey it's going to be in heaven you're going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ our Lord and God and Savior it doesn't get any better than that now obviously a resurrected body yes we want that building we want it as soon as possible but hey, I'll I'll take heaven today, as it is. Absolutely.
0: What would you say? There's um, how should this inspire us today? And there's plenty in that, you know, to think with an eternal perspective should help us to thrive. Greg? Can
1: I, can I before oh, yeah, you right. answer, this is less important, so I want to end on a more important thing. Just, sorry, look at, since we're in Revelation, look at 8.1. Just want to slip in one verse, and then I want Greg to answer that. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. That's called time in heaven. Just, just want to throw that in there, too. Okay, sorry. Uh
2: right, what was your question again? <laughs> Ask that <laughs> one more time.
1: What
0: well, what, how does this inspire us yes. this week? What can, how, how should we be different?
2: Well, I think it goes back to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5. So whether at home or away from the body, we make it our aim to please him. And knowing what awaits us. I mean, if you just linger here on this experience and and don't just say, oh, that's a nice thought. Like, Mm -hmm. wade down deep into this experience and let it wash over you as to how, like breathtakingly amazing this is gonna be, let that seep into every pore of your being, then I can live for Jesus. I don't have to be ashamed because I know this is what I got coming. Um, This is what he's gonna do. This is how he's gonna treat me. This is how he is going to to love me and care for me. Um, So you know what? I can live for him. I can face trials. I can face temptations. I can face persecution. I can face opposition. Why? Because I got this coming. I got this coming and they, they can take this. They can take it. What's that song? Take, take. The, we sing, um, and I, I can't get the words, but like, you know, take this world, um, but give me Jesus. And you know what? If they take this body, guess what? They just did me a good service because now Amen. I'm going to be with him. So we we can face this world with confidence. We can face this world with energy, with expectation, um, because we know we got the spirit with us and we know this is the promise of what is waiting for us. Either way.
0: So great hope, great um, perseverance can come from this Mm -hmm. and a tremendous purpose. We have tremendous purpose because of what we have to look forward to. Papa, any final words before you pray for us?
3: I will and... uh... I was thinking of uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 uh, again. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's, that's our bodies. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven. I, I, I want to, I, I saw, or listened to a, Podcast from actual podcasts of 9-11 by John Piper given 20 years ago. And I'm thinking about this verse, um, 9-11 anniversary yesterday. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body, the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Amen. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, the subject is... is uh, you know, a mystery to some, but when you open the text and you read the read your word, it's it's not a mystery. Uh, you've revealed it uh, more so certainly in the in the New Testament than you did in the Old Testament. But it does give us hope. It gives us um, that uh, continuity, that that our body and soul. Uh, even though they may be separated temporarily, that there's a building, there's a mansion, there's a, a place. You've gone to prepare a place for us, and if you've gone, you're going to come back and take us where you are, and 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 that's our that's our hope. That's the good news. We're sitting here this afternoon saying that applies to everyone in this room, everyone in the sound of our voice that is a believer in Jesus Christ, and and, and I don't. It doesn't get any better than that. So, thank you for the opportunity to open your word. And thank you for Wayne Grudem and uh, for his guidance in all of this. And, and for the Lord Jesus Christ, who through his death, his burial, his resurrection, and now his uh, preeminence as our great high priest seated at the right hand of God, along with the Holy Spirit, are filling us every day, answering our prayers interceding for us before the mighty throne of God. And go with us now in our service. I pray for Mark or whoever's preaching uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Good. We'll see you next week, either if you're interested in membership in the choir room or Sunny school here. Thank you.